All right, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Taxi Squad podcast. We are back tonight for your Week 14 Quick Fairs on Sunday, January 14th. So, without further ado, Jay, start up those fairs and let's get into it. Right, welcome in everybody we are back we are your five hole taxi squad and we are back for week 14 quick fares and we are your hosts as always on quick fares myself craig maddie k and jay what's going on boys welcome back to the pod how are we doing tonight on this fine sunday evening even though it's cold as shit everywhere that we all three of us live more so where jay lives because he's still stuck in minus 40 degree weather but how's it going boys it's been good. Yeah, it's been really cold these past few days, especially. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the Northwest Territories, but my goodness. How's your fantasy hockey going this week, Jay? I heard you're in some tight matchups that oh. might might hurt a little bit. Oh, just cutting right to the chase here. Yeah, so 13-0. and 0, um, Possibly no longer. Uh, it looks like Craig's, Craig's got the better of me this week. His team has managed to outperform projections by 61 points and is going to pit me by five points 316 310 or so man it is it is wild like good on you craig outperformance is 61 points My and goodness. just so the listeners know jay is currently 12 and 0 in our other content providers bangers after bangers league with no goalies since week two and he is about to lose his first week of the match. And the icing on the cake in the listener league for Jay. He is also getting smashed by Allen. It's a tough week for Jay because he's losing to the three, two out of the three other taxi squad drivers uh, in week 14. He's lucky he's got you to remind you of it for sure. To give him credit, he's in the upper tier of the listener league. Upper third like top three and then he's he's first overall and still will be in the bangers after bangers league even with my victory this week so i i just i have to shame him a little bit considering i'm in the bottom third of both those leagues so (laughs) i have to take my victories where i can get them maddie (laughs) for context here right like consider the fact that I was ahead by Allen by around a good solid 40 points in the listener league. And Allen picked up Samuel Urson and held on to Connor Ingram. And the two Allen got the of double shutout. Oh Zero gosh. G, hero G action this week in the listener league by the one and only Allen from the Taxi Squad, which crushed Jay in his over rewarding of goalie scoring in that league that he created. So we have finally found a karma moment. (laughs) Those two goalies alone outscored every single one of my skaters combined. Oh, my God. And, of course, Allen's skaters still provided a solid 100 points. So I went from a 40-point lead to a 40-point deficit in one Saturday on a good Saturday's work. Just be happy that you're part of a, a Hall of Fame 
zero G story for the rest of Alan's life. And every single time he tells it, you're going to be a part of that story. <laughs> it was, it's a beautiful moment in, in the zero G journey for the four of us. But Matty K, before we continue down this hole of Jay's journey this week in fantasy hockey, why don't you say hi to the people, buddy? How are you doing, man? I'm well, fellas. I'm great to be back. Great to be back with the listeners. Uh, I had a similar shutout scenario happen to me on Saturday as well. I benefited greatly from the Demco shutout earlier in the afternoon when they beat the uh, Sabres 1-0. And I sat back and watched my uh, opponent also start Samuel Urson and end up tying me for that precious 12th point in our Bangers Cats League with the uh, with that shutout. So we're going to tie that point 1-1. I guess uh, I can live with that. So very, very happy that Demko and the defense showed up uh, against Buffalo because I didn't know at the time that I would really need that shutout. It's okay. I, I, I feel that pain, Matty K, this week in my home league. I went ham with my ads and just blew the doors off my skaters categories. <laughs> so I, I was up 9 nothing at one point in the home league. Banking on Hill's return because Aiden Hill was the scheduled starter and two out of the three Vegas Golden Knights games this week. He ended up starting zero of them. So I'm not going to hit my goalie starts uh, in that oh. league. However, good on the streaming side of things from the skater perspective. I'm still going to end up winning 6-3. But I was in a quite a slide in that league. It would have been nice to get a 9 nothing victory and bump myself way up in the standings. But... That's fantasy hockey. I thought for sure Hill was going to be back this week, and it's been uh, one of those rough and tumble weeks with a couple of nice victories in there, which we hope that's what the listeners are out there looking at going into things, uh, as I guess the last game is probably just about to wrap, uh, the Red Wings versus the Leafs tonight. They're in the third period right now, but I'm sure many listeners out there already know their results for many of their leagues at this point in time. So what are we here for tonight? We are here for the week 14 quick fares, and we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Uh, once we take the van cab around the league for news and notes, we are going to dive a little bit into uh, those skaters that underperformed in the first half of the season and who we believe uh, from a taxi squad standpoint have the best opportunity or best runway to have a bounce back in the second half and be extremely more valuable than they were in the first half to those fantasy GMs out there that are still holding on them. And boys, I think this is also, you know, sounding the alarm for our listeners out there on these players that we'll get into in a little bit. These are certainly by low candidates. And once you hear some of the information that we've got for you on this episode, You'll want to get in on them, I think, sooner rather than later. But as always, we will take this fan cab around the league, and we will start in the infirmary. As always, Jack Eichel, he was placed on IR with an undisclosed injury. He missed Saturday's game. Uh, the reports that I saw today were that uh, he'll miss a minimum of two more games. That's kind of funny because that's exactly the diagnosis that Aiden Hill originally got. And then Aiden Hill was out for three weeks and continues to be out. A couple other notes um, from Saturday. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, uh, he missed Saturday's game for Philadelphia. He was sick. He's been pretty impressive, boys, over his first two games with Philly. Two points in his first two games, one of which was a primary assist on the power play. He does remain on the second unit but he's averaged just under 21 minutes time on ice uh, in his first two games with Philadelphia. So certainly somebody 
you know, that uh, we think here at the Taxi Squad could push for that power play one, especially with the Philly, because they are certainly needing a spark being the last ranked power play in the league right now. Uh, Martin Nashes remains day-to-day with Carolina. He also missed Saturday's game. He's missed the last three games in Carolina. I don't really know what to say about him so far from a fantasy perspective. It's been pretty underwhelming uh, overall for Natchez. He's missed quite a bit of time with injury. He's on a 56-point pace with a 19-goal pace to boot. Uh, after having a breakout campaign last year, with which saw him set career highs uh, in points with 71 points and goals in, with 28, I think you still hold in deeper leagues, like 14-team leagues, maybe even 12-team leagues. But I think this is certainly something to monitor. Could be a short-term stint on IR. A little bit underwhelming uh, from a fantasy standpoint, but does still have some value, I think, overall, if he can get get back into that top six and then back on the power uh, top power play when he returns from injury. A couple more injury notes from yesterday. Uh, Linus Allmark is also day-to-day from the Boston Bruins. He missed his scheduled start on Saturday with a lower body injury. Doesn't appear to be serious from the reports I saw from the Boston beat writers, but until further notice or until he does return, it's Jeremy Swayman's net. Definitely don't want to drop him, you know, stash him. They were essentially splitting starts anyways. They don't have a back-to-back until the 24th, so about 10 days from now. So, I mean, depending on how long he's out, they should be fine with Swayman as long as he's healthy. Yeah, that's fair. Another goalie situation, another goalie injury. Uh, We had a ton of them in week 14, unfortunately. Uh, So it certainly amplifies the zero-G opportunities heading into week 15 and week 16. Uh, Valerie Nichushkin, he missed Saturday's game with the Avalanche uh, with an illness. Something to monitor because the Avs do play tomorrow if you're a Nichushkin owner. Uh, stash him, pick up somebody else to stream in your Monday spot. I would be surprised if he plays tomorrow. It didn't seem to be anything serious, but if he's sick enough to miss Saturday's game, he's probably sick enough to miss tomorrow's game, but it gives you an opportunity to stream somebody early in the week before Nichushkin returns. Alexander Ovechkin, guys, day-to-day with a lower body injury. He missed both games over the weekend in the back-to-back home-and-home with the Rangers. As we all know, Ovi's at 38 has shown some distinct decline this year. In his play, regardless of how the league's defensive adjustments uh, to the Caps power play has impacted his ability to score on the man advantage. I'm not sure if it's father time, boys, or we're hoping that Ovi bounces back in the second half. But just there's just something overall right now. Washington's playing okay hockey, and they're starting to get some contributions from some other players. You know, he's still doing some Ovi things. He's hitting, he's shooting, you know, but the efficiency in his finishing doesn't seem to be there. Looking under the hood, even in this for this episode, where he's not a guy we're going to talk about, but he's certainly a candidate to buy low on if you still believe that there's opportunity for him to bounce back, which I think the three of us would agree and Alan would agree that there is, giving his track record, giving his opportunity, his deployment. But, you know, the underlying lum- numbers under the hood doesn't look that great. His, it's the efficiency in his shooting that it is very eye-opening uh, for the first time in his career. He's just not finishing at the same, even close to the same as his career average right now. And that is, I don't know if Father Time hit you directly in the face or he's actually got some other injury that he's not talking about or disclosing. Does he finish as a top 80 player because of his peripherals and his shots on goal? Most likely. It might be the first time in Ovi's career that he doesn't return 
his draft value uh, in a fantasy season. Yeah, he's a victim of his past success. I mean, the injury comes at a bit of a bad time for him. He Everybody had been talking about how slow his start was. He'd actually had a point in six straight. Now, you know, it was only two goals and, and six points in total over those six games. But in terms of the team getting going, they got patches back. You know, you'd think that they were kind of moving in the right direction. And then he sidelined for, for a couple out of the gate. So Yeah, and this might be a op- very prime opportunity to get in on him. As long as you don't get a diagnosis later in the week that it's going to be something long-term. Uh, so it's certainly something to keep an eye on if you're a Vetchkin owner or you're even thinking about considering the, the buy-low option on him. I think the big key part as well is that any fantasy owner that worries about Ovi and any production, like just know that he's putting bums in seats for the Capitals purely because of that uh, goal-scoring record. So the Capitals have no reason to sit him out for any precautionary purposes, any other purposes, like the playoff games, so to speak, in another sense, don't even mean anything in comparison. Uh, it's really these regular season games and that goal scoring uh, record. So just be safe in that knowledge with Ovi. There's almost no other player in a similar boat as Ovechkin right now in the league where those regular season games matter with such magnitude in a way that almost eclipses the playoff record. Like, Ovi's got his ring. The main thing right now is if he's healthy, he would play. He would play as many games he plays the power play one and two. So, if anything, in terms of a manager, definitely consider targeting, not necessarily for his current production and play, but more so what other player in the regular season is going to get that run and directive blessed by both management on the bench and management atop. If anything, he should be a primary target for that reason alone. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he certainly falls into that by low category. And if you can grab him for somebody that's super hot, and we you might think he's they're going to cool off, then you go grab him for sure to help you down the stretch just from a goal-scoring potential, right? Because he's going to cover shots on goal and hits for you regardless. Okay, so let's get into some good news. Kyle Connor finally returned to practice. He was finally in a non-contact jersey. It does still appear that he's on track for his return, which was six to eight weeks, but he's still a few weeks away. But for those with Kyle Connor shares or owners, that's certainly good news that he's getting closer and closer to returning. Not that the Jets need him because they're one of the hottest teams in the league, but damn, you know, certainly going to help team on fire with some great goaltending uh, when Connor gets back in a couple of weeks. On another return, Kirill Kaprizov, he returned to the lineup for Minnesota last night. They got smashed and shut out by the aforementioned Connor Ingram, uh, 6-0 and the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, But in Kaprizov's return, he saw 20 minutes, 34 seconds time on ice. He had five shots on goal and two hits. Mini's in their own slump right now, guys. They've lost four straight, so they'll definitely be happy to have Cap back uh, to hopefully restart and reignite their offense because they've been god-awful from a scoring standpoint uh, other than a few flashes from uh, Matt Boldy. And on a secondary note with the the Wild, they also did see Philip Gustafson, the Gus bus. He returned last night, Saturday night's game. As I said, they got shelled, and he did as well. He let in five goals, and he was subsequently pulled for Marc-Andre Fleury in that game. I still think he's the probably the 1A, because uh, Fleury really didn't do much with Gustafson being gone to kind of steal the net from him. Another return, 
more so in a categories league. Uh, but Justin Falk returned for the St. Louis Blues on Saturday as well. Had a quiet night, only one hit um, on 18 minutes, 36 seconds time on ice. Uh, you have to think over the next coming games, they're going to ramp up his uh, minutes, probably just letting him kind of ease back into things uh, because along with Colton Pareko, him and Justin Falk are the even strength minute munchers for the St. Louis Blues. All right. Well, that's the infirmary. So some good news, some bad news, some questionable news, some uh, news to monitor. Just a couple of points and some storylines, and that'll lead us right into the second half bounce back candidate discussion and roundtable. Just some news and notes that caught our eye over Friday and Saturday's information uh, around the league. Well, we were pumping Ricky Rack's uh, Ricard Raquel's tires, uh, you know, looking pretty good in his return, riding shotgun to Crosby and Gensel, still doing that. Uh, but it appears that he has lost his power play one spot. It was uh, Brian Rust back there. Uh, so that certainly takes gives Ricky Rax a value hit there. I still think he's in a deeper league, a 12-team, 14-, 16-team league, definitely somebody you want to roster as long as he's on that Crosby-Gensel line. Um, and he has been shooting and hitting at a better clip than he was previous to his injury. One uh, team note, and I guess it goes to our 0G conversation at the beginning of the episode, boys. The Kings are in a major slump right now. They've lost eight Ooh, straight. Yeah. From all things considering, it's not their offense that uh, is hurting them right now. It would appear one of our zero G heroes of the 2023, 2024 season, Cam Talbot has hit a wall, whether that is father time or just getting ridiculous uh, runs of nonstop deployment and games. But over the last five games, he's led in 17 goals and he's only had two quality starts in that time. And he and the team have not won since December 23rd. Talbot has also started the last four straight games for the Kings. I don't know if it's the team leaking oil because they're still scoring, but their goaltending situation appears to be leaking some oil. So you have Talbot faltering now from his ridiculous first half. Uh, You have David Riddick, who I didn't even know was still around now covering <laughs> off uh who's the goalie that got hurt and went on long time right uh phoenix copley copley so you got an, another goalie situation for you know uh what it looked to be a legitimate goal uh stanley cup contender kind of similar to what they had last year right they didn't really have a bona fide number one and then they brought in uh corpusalo at the the trade deadline and he kind of solidified their goaltending a little bit, but it didn't really help them in the playoffs at the end of the day. Definitely a team to watch if Talbot can't get back on the rails before the trade deadline, if they bring in somebody like, dare I say, Elvis Merzlikens, who's actually getting a start tomorrow night for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So hooray, he's going to be back on the ice. So maybe they're showcasing him now that he's actually still a goalie with legs and arms and can stop the puck a little bit. And then finally, the last one, guys, and it's and it's perfect because it leads us right into our discussion. Uncle Leo, Leon Dreisaitl, has not scored a power play goal since December 10th. And as we all know, the Edmonton Oilers are back with vengeance and a bang and on fuego and just steaming hot everything, winning 10 straight games. 
without Uncle Leo being productive on the man advantage. What is going on? So with that in mind, listeners, let us dive into our second half bounce back candidates. And we are going to start with our man that dives heavily into analytics. Maddie K, why don't you hit us with some of the people that you and the taxi squad have identified that we believe are strong skater candidates for a bounce back in the second half to help those fantasy general managers who can either acquire them or have been shouldering the disappointment of their first half towards their fantasy hockey championships. You know what? I think that's a good way to frame it too, because in some of these cases, we're going to be talking about managers that own one or more of these players and have suffered through underperformance through the first half and maybe considering cutting bait or switching. And then there might be another subset of GMs that are looking to maybe acquire some of these targets. Uh, if the conditions get just right in terms of the underperformance. So before we get started into our analysis this week, I wanted to mention, you know, to the listeners that any of the stats that we referenced during the show here, they come from basically a trio of, of invaluable fantasy hockey websites. We use Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, and Frozen Tools presented by Dauber, Dauber Hockey. Uh, these resources are essential to our team's preparation for these shows each week when we're looking to validate and investigate what happens a little bit beyond the box score. And it's a perfect segue into uh, a topic like this because we want to take a look at a few players a little bit more deeply and see what's happened through the first half of the year for them uh, in terms of their underperformance and what can we expect from them rest of season if they happen to revert towards their more typical production. So the first player we're going to look at here is from Ottawa and that is Tim Stutzla, center left wing. So we were looking for a way to get an approximate value for these players in preseason. So prior to any of this season playing out, where was the consensus for value when it comes to these players? And for Stutzla, what we did was we took a look at the the biggest sample size I could get my hands on in a relatively short period of time was the 650 plus managers that draft in the Keeping Carlson League every year. Points League, um, good scoring there. So what we did was we pulled the ADP for Stutzla and the other players here to just get a sense of where was the general uh, community figuring these players would land. And Stutzla was really high. His, his ADP in Kakafa was 18. Uh, with a notably really low variance. So his variance was only eight across 650 plus drafts, effectively meaning that he had a really small range of outcomes. People valued him uh, very consensusly here. His projections for 88 to 95 points with 150 hits plus blocks, which is the identical year that he had the last year, uh, a true breakout uh, campaign for him. So through 38 games this year, He's on a point-per-game pace, 82 points if he finishes off the year the way that he started it. His shots on goal per game are holding up year over year. He's 2.8 this year versus 2.9 last year. The perifs are where we're starting to see a bit of uh, fading. His perifs are down a full third compared to where he was last year in terms of production, and the power play is hurting him. So last year, he was producing a power play point every three games. This year, and that's really been about a two-year average for him, this year, that's now to a power play point every five games. And the culprit there might be uh, shooting percentage. So 6.6% shooting percentage is down significantly from last year. He was a 17.5% shooter. I think that was really high watermark for him. 
Um, the last three years uh, preceding that, he was averaging about 11.5%, which should kind of serve as a floor for him, still only about half of, of where he is right now. So he has been out on the ice for about 10% less power play this year compared to last which isn't insignificant when you combine that with the truly epic futility of the Ottawa power play uh, so far this year. I mean, they're 16.2% conversion rate, which ranks them 24th in the league. Uh, the last three weeks, we've been talking about teams uh, that are in go mode to try to really turn their season around. Ottawa is the prime example of that. So over the last three weeks of go time for Ottawa, their power play has gone ba -dum -ba -dum, two for 25 which is a cool 8%. And when Timmy Stutes is on the ice, the on-ice shooting percentage for the power play is under 9%, which is like rank 400. Uh, same position last year, on-ice shooting percentages, when Tim Stutzla is on the ice on the power play, 14.6%, uh, which is significantly higher uh, in terms of his rankings. So, I mean, he's got eight power play points this year, none of them being goals. Uh, versus 17 power play points at this same point in the season last year. He's popped off recently. He had four assists in the San Jose game uh, earlier this week. But what we really need to see here is what's Timmy Stutzla and Ottawa in general going to do from January 1st onwards. So the shooting percentage hasn't really gotten much better. And unfortunately, Stutzla's only shot one shot in each of his last three games. So here's the positive. Here's the reason why. We would either look to acquire Tim Stutzla or if you've been holding on to him to continue doing so. They got 44 games left, which is the most in the NHL. And when you think of outside of Kaprizov, which is certainly injury related, the window on every single other elite winger eligible player is entirely shut. Jason Robertson, shut. Matty Kachuk, shut. So Stutzla might be the only winger eligible player that's truly in that top couple of draft rounds category. His rank progressions throughout the year has been a bit of a mess. So when you look at where he's ranked full year versus how he's done over the last 30 days and then how he's done over the last 14 days, we get a sense of, is this guy actually increasing in production or decreasing in production? He is most definitely decreasing in production uh, leading into this most recent, sub, I guess, series. So what we got to look at here is in financial terms, Timmy Stutzla is in extreme oversold conditions. We are talking about catching a falling knife with this player here. And I'll say Ottawa has the third toughest schedule the next two weeks. So if you are the GM that holds him, you might have to wait through a little bit more pain. If you are waiting out another GM that's trying to diamond hand uh, Tim Stutzla, just take a look over the next couple of weeks. There might be a little bit more pain ahead um, from February onward over the next 30 days. They have the eighth easiest schedule. If Stutzla just shoots at his career average and takes the same 120 shots that he's taken at the beginning uh, half of this season, he'd have 14 or 15 goals, which would be a 30-goal pace. I think it's worth taking a swing on a player like that with a great playoff schedule, uh, four games, three games, four games in weeks 23 to 25. Fellas, maybe pause just for one second here on Timmy Stu. What do you think? You buying what I'm selling? He's a previous my guy. He's still my guy. I have many shares of him it's been a frustrating season it's unfortunate to see the regression i understand that he has been a contributor to this underperformance of ottawa but i want to give him some recognition as still one of their best 
players regardless of his underperformance and i think the reflection of the team performance as a whole is not helping his output and that goes right to you know your your deeper dive there maddie k their power play last year was eighth in the league okay this year is 24th in the league yes he hasn't been great on the power play yes there's been some line shaking and and he's not he's getting 10 percent less run on the power play but that's not all him. I think the Shabbat injuries have hurt them in terms of consistency as a power play one quarterback. They probably should be running Chikrin there, and they're not. Norris not really bouncing back from his injury has not helped the team. I know they don't play on the same line, but they play on the same power play. You know, the only guy that's really producing for them offensively is Drake Batherson, and mm-hmm. everybody else has regressed from last year's what what do we want to call it at this point an overperformance right so to me yes you have an underperforming player but he's still elite at his position he still plays with top end line one talent he's playing with arguably their best forward to date with drake batherson and brady who's their best player there has to be, in my mind, positive regression for him in the second half because Ottawa's going to need it. You know, he should be right there with Brady as the, arguably their best player on the team. Uh, so I think there's mitigating fact team factors here, regardless of Stutz's underperformance. I mean, him the player, though, if he's he's shooting 6.6%. I mean, realistically, if that's anywhere close to where his career average is, instead of being that point per game, he's up at 88, 90, 92 points, and nobody's really talking about this, right? The fact that he's 10 or 15 points below where people expected him to be, combined with the team being so terrible, is really putting him on the radar here. 100%, and that, that underperformance shooting percentage-wise, to me, is almost exactly what we were talking about with Ovi, I'm not saying that Stutza is even close to the goal scorer that Ovi is or was, but that underlined, like he's so far below his career average. And this is a 22 year old player, right? Like this, he's still extremely young. Like this, the ceiling is still there in my mind. Like you said, Maddie, I, I totally agree with you. If you can buy low on him, I could totally see him bouncing back to a point per game if not slightly above in the second half especially once they get through these two weeks uh, of limited games in into that february schedule i mean is it really an underperformance like i'm looking right now like obviously that shooting percentage has got to tick up eventually like it's impossible for that to remain as low as it is but on the other hand He's still at 38 points in 38 games. That's literally a point per game. I mean, at the same oh, yeah. time, too, you're looking at the people around him. Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, Giroux's a little bit interesting there. I never really pictured Giroux as really like a heavy, heavy volume shooter, per se. Truth be told, I think, aside from Brady, maybe this team doesn't have tons of volume shooters all the way through. Or immense puck luck not going their way either way timmy stutz has had i guess you can say unfavorable luck with the puck and shooting but he's definitely if anything playing 
I'd reasonably expect this to be close to or near ceiling, right? Like if ceiling, he continues his play exactly, finishes with 14 goals, 62 assists. That's exactly a point per game season. And last year he... Don't you ever say that Timmy Stutz is going to be the next Rob Thomas, okay? I cannot <laughs> believe that, that that is coming out of your mouth right now, Jay. Yeah, the seven goals, the seven goals and eight power play points. That's is where not, the underperformance that's is. That's right. Is it's the, the composition. Scoring. That guy can put up 90 points, and if it's 20 and 70, and only 15 of those points are on the power play, you're probably disappointed, right? So for him, we need to see more goals. We need to see more power play points, and both of those are going to come with a little bit better conversion from him personally and also from driving possession and a shot attempts when he's on the ice for his linemates. Unpopular possibility. Brady Kachuk, and we give him so much credit, and I think love to some degree because we are fantasy managers and we freaking love guys that can produce points upside and bang hit block and do all those extra categories that count in our leagues but not necessarily on nhl final game time score sheets in in the same manner in way say it jay say it brady kachuk is on a 66 point pace if i'm not mistaken say it well more than say it more than that it's the fact that he's been in the league for what this is year six and everyone talks mm-hmm. about the potential. He's 24 years old. I mean, there's room to improve, but remember that Connor McDavid was, you know, dominating, destroying Mario Lemieux. Like, the greats, to some degree, obviously balloon and grow, but in hockey, you can be immensely great and talented as a finished product, and you could stay finished or even hit your peak season by 24. Let's look at his body of work so far, shall we? One season above 70 points. I love Brady Kachuk, and he immensely deserves his time in the sun and everything as an immense fantasy hockey value. But, hey, like, look, maybe if your best hockey player is only Brady Kachuk, maybe Ottawa is accurately performing to what you know their talent level would be maybe if anything last season with Brady his first ever and only ever season bucking above 80 points and 70 points and 80 points maybe that is the upper bound and the upper range and so to speak the same way if he's scoring all those goals then you know somebody's got to assist him or if he's getting all those assists somebody's got to be on the other end bouncing the puck in and maybe Timmy Stu and Brady we're just coalescing around their positive, positive rubber band, and everyone's just kind of assuming that, wow, they can expand further, but maybe not. Maybe they can't. Maybe this is honestly just Ottawa. So you are looking for the the Tim Stutzla manager that's that's like Jay and is getting <laughs> a little bit tired of him, maybe not performing the way that you need, maybe a little bit down on the team itself. Uh, and keep that in your back pocket. Like I said, next two weeks are going to get a little bit tougher before it gets better. So summary on the first player is me and Matty K are riding with Tim Stutzla and believe. I'm in. I'm buying and low. Jay, Jay is punting not only Tim Stutzla, but Brady Kachuk and 
Giroux and their entire top six and maybe even the entire team directly into the sun. That's all I heard. He came That's out all swinging. I no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm going to straight up say I think this is just their upper range. Like last season is probably their upper points value range. In terms of a fantasy value, oh my goodness, just for games played and schedule alone, grab as many Senators as you can. It's the perifs. It's all those other parts that are coming and you're hoping and banking that some of those extra games roll and maybe some positive regression. But don't buy and give assets purely believing that they're going to come all the way back. No, like this production, just double it. That's reasonably where it's going to be. But they're still going to get five extra games compared to everybody else. They they haven't played, basically. They haven't played. Everyone else is 40-something. They're still at 38 games. Like... They haven't played. Let's not get too down the well on on Ottawa. We we've got not one guy. So Matty K, let's hit on on our next guy. So Timmy Stutzla, number one. Who else you got? That's buddy? right. So we're gonna move over to St. Louis here, and we're gonna talk about Jordan Cairo. So similar to our preseason uh, that we did with Timmy Stutzla in the Kakafo League, the preseason ADP for Cairo was fifty four. His current rank in that same league is seventy seven. He's got 12 goals and 19 assists through 41 games, a nice even halfway point throughout the year, which puts him on a 62-point pace. That's compared to 75 and 83 points, uh, respectively, over his last two years. Now, that being said, shots on goal are up for him this year at 3.5 per game, and they've been riding the escalator straight northward over the past four years. So, fellas, when you want to see a progression for a player that's getting more confident in what they do, this is what it looks like. 2020, 1.8 shots per game. 2021, up to two and a half shots per game. Really increased in 2022, all the way up to 3.4 shots per game. And this year, he's even a tick higher at 3.5 per game, uh, which is in very, very elite territory when we talk about uh, consistently firing the puck on the net. His shooting percentage is what's hurting him. He's 8.4% on the year, which is down nearly 40% versus his three-year average, which is around 14%. He's been a pretty elite converter uh, over the last three years. So for him to go from 14 to under nine is pretty significant. Fellas, this player's numbers at even strength are pretty unreal. So against his peers, individual Corsi 4 per 60, driving possession, and attempts on net, 13th in the entire NHL. Individual scoring chances for, per 60, 18th in the entire NHL. At even strength, he's shooting 8.6%. And the on-ice shooting percentage, while he's on the ice at even strength with all of his teammates, is a little over 9. So, power plays where we're seeing a bit of this really bite. He's got one power play goal this year, compared to 11 last year, so Pace-wise, he should have maybe five to six at this point this year uh, versus the one he has. He's only shooting six and a quarter percent on the power play. Uh, when he's on the ice on the power play, the team collectively shooting 8.65%, which is not great. So St. Louis as a team is having trouble converting right now. We just talked about it with Ottawa. I look at that as almost somebody placing a wet blanket on the top 20% of the ceiling outcome of every single player on that team. And that's what's happening with St. Louis right now in terms of their conversion. 9.6% on the year, they're 24th in the league. Uh, Since January 1st, they've scored 13 goals in five games, which is not great. But the power play is showing some signs of life. They scored four goals on 14 attempts, which is a 29-point conversion, much better. 
and Jordan Cairo has a power play goal and a power play assist in his last two games. He also busted out significantly in not his last game, but the game prior uh, when he played the Rangers. Three goals on eight shots. Um, so week 16 through week 25, St. Louis has a really strong schedule. If Cairo takes the same 143 shots the rest of the season that he took in the first half of the season and converted at the 13 to 14% he normally converts at as a player, um, he'd have around 20 goals rest of season, which would put him on a 40-goal pace. And that being said, that hat-trick might have closed his window a little bit, but I think it's worth a check-in. He's got pretty good deployment. He's got dual eligibility. And like we mentioned, schedule is favorable, and the hat-trick is not going to hurt. Fellas, what do you think about Jordan Cairo? I'm looking at him. Look, I'm going to be short and sweet. He's the only player on that team that I would want on my team. As I said a few episodes ago, this team is a mirage. Their entire first line, other than Kairou, does absolutely jack shit peripherally. Pavel Buchnevich is a hot and cold player. I still don't believe in what Rob Thomas is doing this season. My only concern with Kairou, and yes, he's getting solid deployment overall. However, his two line mates, I just looked into this as you were talking, are getting all more than two minutes time on ice than he is this season that has to in some form restrict his ceiling regardless of his shots on goal which you know i love maddie k just as much as you do uh rate has increased which is a good thing the lack of trust by the coaching staff compared to his line mates is going to limit his overall ceiling. But as a depth piece, as your second right winger on a relevant contender within any fantasy league, especially in a points league, I would see what you could do to acquire Kairou uh, if you can certainly buy low. What do you think, Jay? I identify so much with what you said, Craig, about not falling in love with any St. Louis Blue. Obviously, if there is one, I I can see that there's just nobody on the Blues that functionally shoots aside from Jordan Kairou, and even Jordan Kairou's shooting is relatively low if you're going to compare a comparative average other top-line, line-one, power-play-one player. But, I mean, he's dual-eligible. Uh, he really, at at its core, like he needs to shoot and he needs to score, basically, for you to to get immense value. Like, look over there, he's, what, 31 points? Um, he's got 12 hits and 18 blocks in the season so far. That's it. He's got less hits and blocks combined than games played. So he's got to shoot, right? He's not doing anything else. So he's got to shoot and he's got to score. And the Blues are very much a similar setup and style of team as the Nashville Predators. They, if their team lets in three goals, like you're, you're gonna have a tough time. Like those teams aren't designed and crafted to win those six-five shootouts. So, if there's any player, I mean, it's gotta be Kairou because the other players, right? Like we, we laugh and harp on Robert Thomas, but yeah, he literally does nothing. He hasn't even shot a hundred times this season. He also doesn't hit or block. Right on the other end, there's Buchnevich, who's shot a little bit better, but still also doesn't shoot or blo- hit or block. So who else are you going to target aside from Gairou? But I think more than anything, it just seems like the guys on St. Louis are... I, I don't know if they are any of them 
prime trade target players. Mind you, obviously, if they are available, definitely take them and grab them when around, but I don't know if I would give up. It also depends. Uh, I would always ask Matty K too. Uh, do you have specific players that you would say are too valuable to give up in a trade for Cairo? And there are players where you think they are definitely worthwhile and on the cusp where you would advise a manager to trigger immediately and trade for Cairo. So I think we've established that Cairo is definitely more of a points league target than a cats league target. But in terms of trade, I was actually going to mention this just before uh, we we got into a bit of a roundtable on Cairo here was that when we talk about trying to acquire a player and getting them for cheaper or buying them for 70 or 80 cents on the dollar, you have to think of that from the standpoint of what you have invested in the asset that you're giving up. So if this is a player that you drafted, we talked about Cairo, for instance, uh, ADP was 54. That puts him in around the fourth to fifth round compared to his current rank, which is 77. He's in the 80s and 90s as we get a little bit closer. So that puts him maybe in the round seven range, six to seven range. So you start to think about the players that I acquired in the draft. It's about leapfrogging your talent. You're not going to hit home runs with trades. It's about marginally improving your players with the guy I paid 75 cents for and I got to trade him based on either the upswing of his value or the downswing of the higher valued asset player. And that's where you're hoping to, uh, to make a deal. And so I think everybody's lineup is so dynamic that it's hard to give a specific player. But just know what you have invested. People pick up gems off the wire all the time. You have nothing invested in that player. So if you can turn that into an asset that's going to add long term, unless you truly feel the way that that player, you know, Vitrano is a great example, um, uh, is going to perform that way rest of season, you know, and in a lot of cases... Most players cool off. There's only a couple of McDavid's and McKinnon's in the world, right? I'll give you a player in a points league that I would flip for Kairou right now because he's shooting at 18.6% and almost all of it except for his last point is on even strength. And he's one of the hottest team players in the league. And that is Blake Coleman. I would flip Blake Coleman right now for Jordan Kairou. In a I thought point you were going to say Sharon Govich, actually, which was funny because we're staying on the exact same team. But yeah, Coleman's been tearing it up too lately. Staying in the flames. The only other, and before we leave Kairou onto your next guy, Matty K, the only other point I'll say for the listeners that limits his ceiling is the St. Louis power play as a whole. Like even last year, they were 22nd ranked, just over 19% efficiency. This year, they're 30th ranked at just over 13% efficiency. So like, even if they positively regress, that's still a bottom to where third power play in the league, in the league, which again, you know, this is why I say the St. Louis blues are a mirage and, and it certainly limits the floor, even though Robert, Rob Thomas is having by all things said and done a breakout season, even though he still doesn't shoot the damn puck. It's going to limit their ceiling, their their top line, and their you know peripheral scores if their power play remains so inefficient. But you know, I think yeah, I agree with you on the first two guys. I either want to hold on Stutes for the opportunity uh, in terms of games played, or I want to go acquire him for cheap because I think he certainly is a player you could go acquire for cheap uh, and hope for that ceiling to pop. And then I definitely want to go acquire Jordan Cairo, especially in a points league, in a categories league. 
just leave him be. I'd rather have Blake Coleman in the categories league. But I think the first two guys bang on, Matty K. What else you got? All right, so we're going to take the van cab all the way out to the West Coast and make a stop in Los Angeles with the Kings. And we just mentioned a little bit earlier uh, through the infirmary and the league notes about the swoon the Kings are on. We're going to talk a little bit about Kevin Fiala. So Kevin Fiala was drafted, again, a couple ADP rank for him was 55, which put him around the fifth uh, round in most drafts. His current rank is 81 in that same league. So 10 goals and 27 assists through 39 games. That's a 78-point pace, which is down a smidge from the 86 and 85-point paces he's been on the last two years. This guy plays the same 17 minutes and 30 seconds of time on ice for the last three years. It's perfect Swiss timing for this perfect Swiss beauty of a player uh, on display here. But that's pretty remarkable when you look at that year over year over year. Uh, It's the same for him. What isn't the same for him is his shots on goal this year per game are down. And they've actually been down each of the last three years. So 3.2 shots per game in the 2021 season dipped a bit to three even last year. And this year he's dipped below that to 2.8 per game. And that's happened alongside a gradual reduction in his shooting percentage each year. So again, from 19 to 21, uh, he averaged 12.5%, dipped a bit last year to 11.1%, and this year thus far, uh, through those 39 games, he's shooting at 9.3%. So his rank progression throughout the year has been relatively consistent. So he's, full season, he's ranked 81 in Kukupful, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, over the last 30 days, a little bit of slipping, 97th, and the last 14 days back up to 80 Banger Cats is a lot worse because he does not hit, he does not block. So unless he's shooting and scoring, he's not really doing a lot. So those uh, rankings are a lot softer. But those rankings really aren't within three rounds of where he was drafted, which to our previous point was why we're really talking about him. It's not that he hasn't been consistent. It's that he's consistently been a little bit underwhelming relative to where people picked him. So his even strength shooting percentage is 8.5% this year, which is uh, like middle of the league, 350th, while his individual stats at even strength are top tier, like like really strong fellows. Individual Corsi 4 per 60, 52nd. Individual scoring chances 4 per 60, 91st. So the shooting percentage is really what's holding him back. His on-ice shooting percentage, so while he's on the ice, how the team's doing with him at even strength, under 9%, combined with his shooting under 9%. Um, he plays line two with Philip Deneau and Trevor Moore. And we know the season Trevor Moore's had this year in terms of converting. Both, uh, I mean, that line mate drives possession, both Corsi 4 percentage and Shots 4 percentage. When they're on the ice, over 60%. It, the ice is pretty tilted uh, when those three guys are out there. That being said, with Fiala, he hasn't scored a goal from November 25th through December 27th. So a little over a calendar month. He had 10 assists in that period. Uh, but his last nine games, he's got four goals, four assists, and that time on ice we talked about is nudging up. 19 to 20 minute range over those last nine games. The Kings themselves are in a unique spot here. They're hanging on to third in the Pacific. They've got Edmonton, Seattle, and Calgary right on their heels. Uh, I believe they got a couple games in hand on, on both of those teams. It's more what they're doing with those games in hand. They've lost eight straight. They hadn't won a game since the 28th, as we mentioned earlier, and they'd won four or five going into that stretch too. So it wasn't like this hit them out of the blue. Um, The power plays in the top half of the league. I mean, they convert at 21, almost 22%. They somehow managed to lose eight games in a row, 
while converting at 25% on their power play. They're outshooting their opponents by over four shots a game and somehow managed to go two, two, four, and four. Fellas, that's wild. Like, I I don't think that team's going to shoot 7.8% rest of season, which from a league rank is 28th. Uh, over those last 10 games, they're just really, really, really cold right now. I mean, Talbot, as we've mentioned, hadn't won since Christmas, but they're not getting blown out. I mean, he's only allowing three, 3.2 goals a game. Um, the Kings play eight games over the next two weeks. Uh, so weeks 15 and 16, and they have the highest remaining games other than Ottawa in terms of the rest of the season. So if that shooting percentage starts to move up even close to his career average for the rest of the season... You know, we'd expect more like 13 to 14 goals for him over that second half and certainly put him in that 85, 86 point pace that we were talking about. So, fellas, I like the look of Kevin Fiala and a bounce back for a little bit of uh, puck luck, unlucky Kings here. What do you think? I'm just going to say that this is all Pierre-Luc Dubois' fault. He came in and just shat the bed and everybody was hyping him and Fiala up in preseason as like this reputable duo on their second line. And now Pierre-Luc Dubois is circulating between their third line and their fourth line. And Fiala is granted, you know, two of their most underrated players on the Kings playing with Philip Deneau and Trevor Moore. But Philip Deneau is not supposed to be their second line center. He's supposed to be their third line complementary center in a shutdown role. Uh, which takes away from Fiala playing with somebody who actually can set him up to score. Although Fiala is a playmaking winger in his own right. But the only thing I have to say about Fiala is this guy's always been a second half workhorse. He's generally a guy over the past three or four seasons that's come out the gates real slow. So he's actually probably looking fairly strong in most points leagues at this point compared to other leagues. So if you have an opportunity to hop on him now, I would absolutely encourage that. Not crazy about him only being left wing eligible. Uh, It does make it tight for him to be, you know, in lineups all the time. But I think overall the Kings are just too strong of a team, uh, too deep of a team, too talented of a team to stay this bad uh, in this stretch. Like they were the eighth ranked power play last year. And they're only a few slots down from there this year at 14th ranked. And that's only because of this stretch run that their power play has dipped below the top 10. I certainly could see Fiala, you know, getting back to that ceiling of 80 plus points, maybe pushing the 25 goal mark, uh, similar to what he did last year. The guy is obviously not shooting to the same degree and obviously not scoring to the same degree as he is. But my goodness, Timmy Stu's still on a point-per-game pace, right? Like, on the same side, Kevin Fiala, I know, of course, we're looking here and seeing as if he's, oh, yeah, he's not shooting as much, and it's, like, historic. But, I mean, at the same time, look who's having a historic, a historic season alongside him, Trevor Moore. 18 goals, 39 games so far. Who's he playing with, right? Like, you need only one or you need you only have one guy scoring whenever there is a goal and the Kings are scoring so if Trevor Moore is having all those goals and bang them in someone's got to be assisting him and it is Fiala right Fiala's got the most assists on the Kings this season so far um honestly if they're the Kings long may it continue now he's got 
a similar concern with uh, the other players we mentioned with the like Kairus of the world where they, they they don't really do much else, right? In terms of hits and blocks, 35 hits and blocks combined through this entire season. Hopefully, Fiala gets some extra shots on goal at least to buff up that shot percentage and uh, get get I guess more perifs basically onto onto the score sheet but truthfully if you're if you're on the Kings right like this production is happening while they're on an eight game losing skid so no do not sell Kevin Fiala because the Kings are underperforming right now because it seems like they're not doing as well as as or as hot as they could be man this is this team was with so many games in hand at one point, challenging for the Pacific Division. They're not going to lose 40 games to finish this this season. They're, they're going to tick back up, and you want Fiala on your lineup when they do. I think they're, you're waiting for that tick back. You, you want to jump on a general a manager that's you know a little bit frustrated with their Kings players wherever you can acquire them you know, uh, in this overall team slip, including Fiala. Who else you got there, Matty K.? All right, last guy we're going to take a look at before we uh, get into a few players that Jay and Craig have identified here is Brent Burns. And we're going to run through Brent Burns a little bit uh, quicker here than the other three because we spent a lot of time talking about Brent Burns and the fantasy community in general has talked a lot about Brent Burns over the last few weeks. So he's a guy that was drafted 84th. His current rank is 146th. So his father time finally showing up to take receipts for the Lizard King himself, Brent Burns. He is on a 47-point pace this year, 8 goals and 16 assists through 42 games, down pretty significantly from the last couple years, 61 points last year, 54 points the year before. All the peripherals are down pretty notably year over year, and the shots on goal are down this year, 2.4 per game versus 3.1 last year. He brings very little in the hits and blocks department, so you really do need that offensive upside. But his time on ice per game has been slipping, 26 per uh, game three years ago down to 23 per game last year and now 21 per game this year now that's the bad news the real reason you're looking for exposure to brent burns is that he is on that top carolina power play and he's been on that power play since december 19th and he has contributed seven power play points since December 19th on that Carolina power play, which has been on fire the last three weeks. They're tops in the league, uh, converting at 45.2%, fellas, 14 goals on 31 attempts over the last three weeks, which should relegate Brady Shea and Tony D'Angelo to PP2 for the rest of the season. So Burns's luck metrics are all over the map. His shooting percentage is above his career average. 7.9% is the highest he's shot since 2016. On top of 75% of his assists are secondary assists, so 12 of the 16, versus the other side of that coin, 40% average, but his IPP is 36 this year, his power play IPP is 57 this year, and both of those are down significantly. So some of his individual luck metrics are up year over year, and yet some of the on-ice participation metrics are down year over year. When you look at him individually, I mean, he's always driven possession and shots. He's a beast in those categories again this year. Individual Corsi 4 per 60, uh, second in the league amongst all defensemen. Um, he's, he's 11th in Corsi 4 per 60. He had a quiet first quarter. So that first 21 games of the season, he was on a 35-point pace. The pace has jumped up significantly. Q2 put him on a 60-point pace 
which is much more like the guy that we drafted or that you're looking to acquire. So they're out shooting opponents by five shots a game. They're out scoring opponents by almost two goals a game, which is wild. Two goals a game. Uh, on average, they are outscoring their opponents over that three-week stretch. And they're 7-1-1 one, and one over those nine games. So Carolina does have a pretty favorable schedule week 15 through week 23. Not necessarily for the tail end of the playoffs. So maybe look for a player like uh, Brent Burns or a couple of the other Carolina players we've talked about in previous episodes to maybe get you to the playoffs, but not necessarily uh, bring you all the way through. This man has a great beard, but I'm not sure. The beard and the chiclets are just out of this world just for like, Burns. Just your stereotypical hockey beauty when you see that grizzled veteran face. But I'm not. It's the only one, Matty K, that I'm not on board with, unless you need help from a scoring perspective. Power play and scoring is is really where I'm coming at this from. If you're in a league that, that tracks power play points, they've been converting at such an elite level, and he really does seem to have solidified himself on that spot. It, it's a You just want exposure to those other four players. Yeah, and if you look at his last five games, he has five points in his last five games, including two goals three of which of those points are on the power play. My only concern is he's only got one game or yeah, one game where he's eclipsed over three shots on goal and two right at three. The others are only one. And if he's not shooting at a Brent Burns clip, that is concerning to me. And yes. Okay. Secondary sits on the power play are still power play points, but if he's on a 60-point pace, I would still hope from Brent Burns that I'm going to get a double-digit def- like goal-scoring defenseman You know that's going to push the 12-goal ceiling. And I just, you know, with the decline in his shooting, a little bit of an elevated shooting percentage, yes, I know he's on the best one of the best teams in hockey. Their power play is ranked number three in the league. They've been scorching hot right now, but they just don't... I haven't been a team that's relied on their defensemen for scoring. Even if you consider when Dougie Hamilton was there, Dougie Hamilton didn't really pop off as a, an elite offensive defenseman until after he left Carolina. You always saw the potential, the opportunity, but their offense doesn't flow through the defensemen. It's similar in a similar vein to like the Minnesota Wilds of the world. Their offense doesn't flow through the defenseman. You know, Brent Burns is a far superior player than Kalen Addison. I'm not sure about Brock Faber at this point, so I'm not going to have a comparison there. He obviously stays healthier than Jared Spurgeon, but their teams operate in a very similar fashion. The, the offense doesn't flow through their defenseman. So to me, there's limitations in, in Brent Burns' upside. And I would question to give up serious assets to acquire him. If you're going to get him cheap, absolutely acquire him as your fourth or your third defenseman. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the angle here. You're not you're not paying anything of significance for a player that's currently ranked 146th, right? Yeah. What you're looking at is saying, how's this player and their deployment going to outperform that current ranking, which is kind of where you're buying them at? 
um, relative to what he can do rest of the season. Agree with you, no perifs, so it's going to be hard to, to hold him in any sort of bang or cats league. But in a points-only league, especially where you're rewarded for um, uh, special teams production, I think there's a spot for Burns. Yeah, agreed. I think another point to target as well is to recognize where your team falls exactly. Um, with that playoff schedule, as you mentioned, Matty K, with the 4-3-3 setup for the 23, 24, and 25, I think Brent Burns is a prime target and uh, a prime target for any team that would consider themselves a bubble team. I looked ahead actually at that week 23 schedule, and Carolina not only has four games, but they also have a Friday-Sunday off night during that week. So if you are a bubble team, you are most likely playing in week 23 in the quarterfinals, and you can go a heck of a lot worse than a guy currently playing on the Carolina Hurricanes D1 pairing power play one. You can go a heck of a lot worse. Uh, I would definitely consider trading for if you're, and you're not going to give up again, as Matty came and Greg mentioned again, significant draft capital to acquire him. Definitely to get a four-game schedule for that quarterfinal and worry about what happens in the semis and finals later. I would definitely consider Brent Burns if that was the case. And again, for the right price, definitely consider it. No, he is not going to, upon acquiry, make your team from a bubble instantly to a contending top two seed contender. But no, he is definitely a good shore up, as Craig mentioned, the third or the fourth defenseman to compliment your team okay so jay before we get to the guy you wanted to discuss with the listeners matty k gave us four pretty solid bounce back candidates from his perspective and within within the van cab if you are a fantasy gm which out of the four are you targeting to acquire yeah i would say if i'm looking at those guys uh the first one i the first one that jumps off the page is going to be either Timmy Stewart Fiala. The problem with those two mainly is the fact that Stutzla is not going to come cheap. And I don't know if I would be willing to stomach any prices that a manager would be lured to acquire Stutzla. So maybe actually, if anything, Fiala is going to be the play. I definitely think that, especially with that eight-game losing streak right now, that any Fiala owner is going to look at that and just think that this is... You know, down in the dumps is as bad as it gets, and truthfully, no, that this team is, I mean, at least from what I've seen and what I believe, I think this team is at least going to be firmly in the race for top, top two, top three in the Pacific, and so they have to score goals to get there, and Kevin Fiala is definitely the guy to ride on that route. I think Fiala's the guy. All right, Matty K, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'm going to answer quick and simple for the listeners from my perspective. I'm staying in the flames with my boy, Timmy Stu. I will not not believe in him. I don't think last year was a one-off regardless of what the ultimate outcome is for him this year or not. I would argue that if he does underperform to last year significantly, that this will be the one-off year uh, for Timmy Stu. But uh, out of your four guys, Matty, who are you going after? I think in a bangers cats league or anything that, that covers anything more than just raw points production, I think we're definitely going to stick with Stutzla. As we mentioned, it's talking about picking him up for a lot less than you would have had to get him for earlier in the season. So this would really come down to the individual GM that you're looking to target here. So uh, by removing Stutzla from their roster, you know, where does it make them weak? And hopefully you're able to kind of patch that hole enough with some value. If you have a center, for instance, 
If they've been playing Tim Stutzla all year, they've probably found a way to patch the hole at center in terms of production, at least through the first half of the season. So you might want to look at somebody that you drafted. Like, I'm not talking about in the ninth round and you're going to try to dump him on this person. I'm talking about, say, a fourth round center, right? Maybe a guy like a Malkin or something. I'm just picking a name out here. But a fourth line or fourth round center that you can then flip Maybe with another part too. I mean, let's be realistic. We're talking about a pretty high draft capital player here. But that's when we're talking about packaging up a couple of assets that you have much less invested in. And then putting them in front of a player or another GM with a a path to show them how this actually helps your team better than the current situation that you're in. And just as an aside, that typically doesn't happen when you're firing off trade offers to other GMs unsolicited. So if you're looking to seriously get a deal done and you have uh, a league that's important to you, get into a conversation, get into a, a side chat and figure out how to get a deal done uh, rather than drop into like those DMs, man, drop into those. That's DMs. right. Rather than looking like a clown and firing it off offers for top 20 players um, without any sort of provocation. So, um, no, I would definitely go with uh, with Stutzel, like I say, if you can acquire him. Um, I'm a little bit warmer on Kairou than you are, Craig. Um, I think he'd be a lot easier to pick up. I think there's probably Kairou sitting on some wires in some shallow leagues with some very frustrated GMs. And I, in a points league, I really do think that Burns can shore up D. Um, that's been a position that's been hit pretty badly with injuries throughout the, the season this year as well. So, I mean, somebody like him down the stretch, it doesn't have to be your one. If he's your three, and that's who you're rotating in, and you've got very little invested in them, I think that's a, a pretty good-looking roster going in. So that's where I'd push my chips in, fellas. All right, Jay. You and I only have one main guy to talk about, so let's get your main guy going because his yours is yes. a spicy one, and if anybody's going to yes. try to acquire this guy, you're nuts because it's going to cost you an obscene amount of, money, uh, of draft capital and or pieces. But he is certainly in the realm of bounce back candidates compared to what he should be doing. So take it away, Jay. He's not a guy that's really struggled, so to speak. It's it's Leon Dreisaitl, right? Like even I checked the last couple of games, he's he scored the goal, Oilers only goal in regulation. He also assisted on Evan Bouchard's power play goal in overtime. Sure, he hasn't really put up the like anything in near the amount of points that he did last season in 22-23. But, I mean, worth noting, he put 128 points, 52 goals and 76 assists last season. He only played 80, 80 games. So if you were to do that average, that's 1.6 points per game. That is historic. He's not done that before. And evidently, unless he's got a real uptick this season, he's not going to do it this season. I remember early in the season, we also had some listeners pointing out in the Discord chat um, that there was a reasonable belief that Drysado could have repeated his 22-23 production. Um, I mean, at that point, everyone was basically licking the Oilers and pop, pumping, pumping them up. And yeah, they were projected as heavy, heavy Stanley Cup contending favorites. They were going to sweep the season. There may or may not have been a taxi squad member that projected that the Oilers would get to 130 points. Who knows? Who knows? Who could have been? Anyways, there was big hoorah and discussion as well because the Yahoo projections still only had Dreisaitl finishing with 106 
points, which is a significant decline of 22 points. And the Discord chat basically flopped on and said that Dreisaitl shouldn't be underperforming as such and that Yahoo projections uh, be damned for such a egregious mistake. Truthfully, Dreisaitl has not really had a slow December by any reasonable metric, right? But he's not scored at that same blistering 1.6 points per game pace as he did in 22-23. Currently, he is on a 46 points in 39 games pace. So he, if he continues at such a pace, will finish with 94 points, which is a really good, good damn season. A really damn good season, except it's neither to his 22-23 production, and neither to his Yahoo projection. So, now, I am going to say it out loud here right now. Jay on the Taxi Squad, I I do stand by projections, not necessarily because I think they are perfect, but because I believe that projections will continue to offer a glimpse in a ranged boundary, as well as that projections, I believe, will continue to improve over time. Um, I think... If I believed the projections in October 2023 that he would hit 106, then truthfully, at the same vein, I still believe in January 2024 in the Yahoo projections and that Leon Dreisaitl is going to hit it. He's going to get around 106 points at the end of the season, and right now with this 94-point pace, he's not there, which means that he will need to close the performance gap to finish with a fiery average of 1.4 points per game, and he's going to get 61 points in the next 43 Oilers games. Sounds kind of crazy when you say it out loud, but he's got to do it. He has to do it because I do believe in the projections in the same way. Now, tricycle managers, I'm going to say this, you are reasonably understandably disappointed, at least slightly disappointed with Dry. Um, you drafted him thinking that he's going to be competing for the Art Ross Trophy, um, and you reasonably could have hoped, I don't know if about expected, but you could have reasonably hoped that he would have been not just competing, but maybe even the outright winner. I can at least speak for myself. I certainly did not see the likes of Reinhardt, uh, Quinn Hughes, Forsberg, Sebastian Ajo, Jake Gensel, or Brock Besser ever being mentioned or even in the same cuff as Dreisaitl in scoring, let alone every single one of those players I mentioned being above Dreisaitl in scoring. Do you know what's also insane? Frankie V and Carter Verhage, according to Cupful scoring, are ranked higher than Dreisaitl right now, both within the top 30 and Dry being just outside of it, which is wild. Wild. Yeah, his, his pace has dipped. I mean, he hasn't had a pace under 100 points since 2017. And so, like we mentioned, you can't be disappointed. Mean, disappointment in quotation marks. He's on a 95-point pace. The real concern here when we're talking about it is the guy has 20 goals through the halfway point of the season, and he should have closer to 27, 28, 30. He's been a 50-goal scorer the past two years. That was the expectation for him alongside anywhere from 115 to 130 points. And he's significantly underperforming that. So I, I think it's entirely valid that we're having a discussion about Leon Dreisaitl. The difficult part is 
his uh, value is anchored in past expectations, right? Which is the exact same thing that we talked about with Ovi, right? He's a victim of his of, of his past circumstances. In this case, with Dreisaitl, I mean, the goals have to come up um, because when you're talking about taking a player where you take Leon Dreisaitl, it's not just the point total. It's how he goes about it. You need the 50 goals. You need the 100 plus points. You need the 40 plus power play points. I mean, otherwise, you're not getting value. And and thus far, even though dry side owners are probably okay, I mean, he's got eight goals over his last 11. He's not doing bad, but he's not third in the league either. Well, I think I think the biggest thing here for dry side owners and for Jay's point is you didn't draft him to be a top 30 player. You draft him to be a top five player and basically carry your team to the playoffs. But unfortunately... I agree, I agree with both of you. It's a valid conversation based on where you had that expectation of the player. But your door to acquire any Edmonton Oilers player, which I'm sure you guys all saw even transactions that included McDavid earlier in the year when they were really struggling, is completely gone. And let's be realistic. He's probably still going to hit 100 points with the way that they're going right now. But to your point, Matty K., if he's not that 40 to 50 goal scorer, it certainly leaves something to be desired. But he might be, like based even based on Cupful rankings, in the top 40. I don't see a single person outside of the top 25, Matty K, unless you do, that could get inside the top 10, let alone potentially get into the top five in the second half, half of the season other than him. Well, I mean, he's put it on tape as well, right? I mean, we talk about who's a player that could score 70 points in 41 games. It sounds like you're playing fantasy hockey. Uh, this guy, he did it last year in the first half of 2022. It's not that far in the rearview mirror, 68 points in 42 games, right? Like they, he can literally do this. What I think too is, you know, depending on the size of the league, 14 team, 12 team, think of the draft. You you pick Drysaddle second or third in most cases. He was either you know, Matthews or or maybe McKinnon would slot in in front of him in some drafts. But you think of the snake order coming back around. Now you're picking in the probably late twenties. Did we just talk about Alex Ovechkin? Kyle Connor has been hurt. Like you start the composition of the team. It's not just the guy himself, but your first couple of rounds of draft has been impacted. Dougie Hamilton is kind of on that two, three turn as it comes around. So that owner might be dealing with more than just the dry sidle, somewhat underperformance. And maybe it's a package that you can slide in front and say, I can help you in two or three critical areas. I was going to say, what if you're that guy out there that owns Sam Reinhardt and Frankie V, right? I'm going to put that package in the dry sidle owner's face immediately and I guarantee you they're at least going to think about that because especially Reinhardt, he is on an absolute contract year tear. And that is not going to be something, and I would imagine in almost every league he's ranked in the top 15, if not the top 10. That's going to be very glaring in a dry sidle owner's face, especially with the little caveat of Frankie V, who's on an absolute breakout season himself layered into that would you either of you be surprised because i wouldn't if dry finished above both of them in you know league scoring 
in terms of in real life and in fantasy life. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that occurred. And I think the important part sometimes is to remember with patience um, that, again, dividing our teams into cores and peripheries, Dreisaitl is so far in the core category, it is not even worth mentioning the periphery. And further, if we're talking about players with regression, with opportunity and all those things, then we cannot on one hand blast projections and then on the other side completely say, oh yeah, yeah, but they were projected so far when it conveniently suits us or doesn't suit us. So what we can do is we can take our projections and we can either disregard and say they're complete hogwash, they're not worth nothing, and then throw them out. Which I personally, Jay and the Taxi Squad, I don't advise that. Because I think Yahoo projections and all those different things, they are tools. They are not gospel, prophetic words, but they are tools with statistics and math that we can use. So objectively speaking, Dreisaitl has underperformed his Yahoo projections at the halfway point of this season right now. But if there's a time for us to trust or be on the benefiting side of the projections, it's not when a player has overperformed those projections. It's actually when they've underperformed the projections and now we are on the chance to try to capitalize and hope that they regress and actually perform as people expected. But anywho, let's move it on and say Dreisaitl. He is a he is an absolutely fantastic player to watch. When you're going to see him track those 60 points in the remaining 40 games. All right. So let's get into the latter part of our journey here on bounce back candidates. And I'm going to hit you boys with one that's near and dear to my heart. My guy for me, along along with Timmy Stutzla for the 2023-2024 season. And to say that he has disappointed and underperformed would be an understatement. But when you dig into this player, this is absolutely a player that has bounce back candidate. It might have as well be the name on the back of his jersey at this point. Whether his team does it or not around him, I don't know. But as as a common theme in our show uh, this time around, it appears to be a whole lot of teams that are underperforming altogether that have led to these potential bounce back candidates. But I'm going... Tage the Terror Thompson, my boy, your boy from the Buffalo Sabres. Look, last year he gave you everything that you wanted and more, and you probably got him in the 10th or later, or you picked him up off waivers on his hot streak. He gave you 47 goals with 47 assists for 94 points on 295 shots on goal with a reasonable shooting percentage of 15.6. It was a true breakout season from Tage, playing top-line minutes, top power play uh, with uh, Jeff Skinner and Alex Tuck when he was healthy uh, at even strength. This led to most 12- to 14-team leagues seeing him drafted in the first two rounds, whether that was in the top 24 picks or the top 28 picks, uh, depending on your league setups. This year, still seeing similar deployment, still playing with the same line mates, They were tinkering at the beginning of the year in Buffalo uh, with weird time on ice, you know, all sub 18. They finally got that back and fixed, but then Tage got hurt. 
He had a little bit of an injury spell early on, but what has this led to in terms of first-half production from Tage Thompson in this season? So through 33 games with just over 18 minutes time on ice, he's got 27 points, 14 goals, 13 assists on 113 shots on goal with a shooting percentage of 12.4. So currently he's on a 67-point pace and a 34-goal pace and a 280 shots on goal pace. So yes, the point pace has significantly reduced from last year, but the goals, yes, there's a dip there, but it's marginal and the shots on goal are still finishing, you know, closer to that 300 shots on goal mark. Point pace leaves something to be desired. Now he has missed some times this this year with injuries. I mentioned the Sabres just being an absolute dumpster fire at the beginning of the year, uh, just all around. However, there's a reason to believe if he can stay healthy, he can push his current point pace and goal pace over. Based on his last 10 games, he has 12 points, including seven goals and three multi-point efforts. Uh, That's a 1.2 point pace per game over that span. If he can maintain even a point per game pace, that gives him an opportunity to push the 80-point ceiling and another 40-goal-plus campaign this year. The only real concern, like I said, guys, is that the Buffalo Sabres power play has been atrocious this year compared to last year. Also speaks to Tage's output and his ability to score on the power play. He only has eight power play points. So another another commonality within the guys we've kind of reviewed this year, you know, the majority of them are consistent power play performers. But this year they're all underperforming. And I think that is a byproduct of poor play around them, but also them not contributing uh, to the same levels as you would normally see them based on their career average. As I said, this is a guy that I personally believe in. I have him in many spots. I certainly can see him over the second half of the season if he can maintain his last 10 games pace. Uh, He's now back from injury. There is a bit of a report out there that I've seen every uh, once in a while that he has actually been playing injured for the majority of the first half of the season. Whether that is completely resolved at this point remains to be seen, but I really think it's very much realistic to expect him to be in and around when things are all said and done at the end of the season, in and around that 80 to 82 point ceiling with I think quite easily at this point, breaking the 40 goal threshold. This is another guy like Kairou that I think the cost to acquire versus what you could get from him in the second half is significantly lower than the ceiling you could get and put on your team for a guy who's also dual eligible at center right wing. What do you guys think? That's my boy, Tage. So you be gentle. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, he's the shots staying up year over year is really good to see. Obviously, he's missed, we said, what, 33 games he's played through this halfway point. So he's missed a good eight to 10 games so far this year. I mean, the real concern with Thompson here is he's just not scoring at the pace that we've been accustomed to over the last couple of years, and especially on the power play. So last year, the guy scored 20 goals on the power play. This year, he has three, right? So we'd expect him to be around that nine to 10 mark at this point. The concern I have with him, though, is you could look at Ottawa and Buffalo in the same standpoint here, which is 
if they're not there already, like we're talking about deadline approaching, trade deadline approaching in the not too distant future. Buffalo's 14th in the East. Ottawa's dead last in the East. But uh, uh, with Buffalo and Ottawa, the underperformance on Ottawa has had less to do with injuries and more just general whether it's switching coaching styles, we said that wet blanket over the entire offensive production of that club has been evident all year. The same things happen in Buffalo too, but my concern is with Thompson. If the season starts to get really out of hand, a couple of things are probably going to happen. One, Granado is going to get fired. And number two, if it's injury related, then you start might getting senses of, Let's shut him down. Let's kind of manage the workload. If we're really not in a position, we've got lots of players, as we've seen, that have taken a, a bit of a next step in Buffalo this year with with Benson, Paterka, you know, bigger roles for Middlestat and a few other players on that team. So it's not that they don't want Thompson on the ice, but I, the guy has shown himself prone to being injured in a number of of unique and what look like very painful ways, which I feel really bad for the player. But because of his injury history, I just think if they really are out of it, that might be the one factor that's hard to to really explain for would be, you know, at some point, do they just shut him down uh, for a bit? So I hope that's not the case, but that would be my only uh, concern to an otherwise strong business case. Again, somebody that was being drafted on the one-two turn in 14 team drafts, right? So probably anywhere from 12 to, to 18th overall in ADP, you need way more from him than what you've gotten. And and maybe a GM's patched the holes and and they don't need that, but it's going to be tough to come out from, from uh, not getting that type of production of a player you paid that much for. I think any concerns I have about Tate were already mentioned by you, Matty K, and actually overlap in some ways with the Timmy Stew critique I had before too, where it's, you look at Brady, you look at Timmy Stew, you see that awesome 22-23 production, and I think Maddie K mentioned it in one of the previous quick fairs we had, where it's, when do we approach it with 23-24 lens and not 22-23 lens, because truthfully, Tage, and you hear his name and immediately think the 47-47, right? That is just, wow, this guy, it seems like it's immense, it's valuable, it's all that stuff. But then you look at his, just casually dig back into his hockey reference. He's, what, he's 26 years old now. He had tons of games up and down the lineup. He he got traded over from St. Louis or left St. Louis and came over on to Buffalo. He's part of the he was part of the Ryan O'Reilly part of the deal. Ryan O'Reilly deal. Right. So he's not exactly come through like full on from the Connor Bedard and Connor McDavid treatment. He was the guy blessed all the way through and he performed to standards. No, he's been largely a player that's uh, been up and down the lineup and played on some pretty shitty teams and severely outperformed. And I think what also tends to happen is there's a lot of luster um, with players that, or so to speak, the way a player breaks out matters in terms of memory. I don't know many guys that think of Kyle Connor and just assume he's going to be the next, next breakout player. Kyle Connor doesn't really hit or bang. He just shoots a ton, and he scores a fair amount. He leads the line on a, well, usually middling 
Winnipeg's Jet, Winnipeg Jets team, except when Connor Hellebuck decides to play well. And now he's hurt, and so you're going to forget about Kyle Connor. But Tage Thompson, wasn't he the guy that had the five-goal breakout? The guy that charges out the racks, he, he hits and he bangs. He's a very flashy player, but those flashy players come with some other concerns. Right? There are very few Brady Kachucks and Alexander Ovechkins that hit, bang, score, and do all those things with flash and aplomb and still don't get hurt. Tage is showing that right now where he can possibly slow down either due to possible regression, right? 94 points is really, really difficult and it's only really happened one season. And the other part is if you play the way he does, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to longevity. I I don't know where I would stand in terms of actively trading for an acquiring Tage. Obviously, if I hold Tage at this moment, like uh, there's really no value that I would be looking to offload him for. But it's difficult to trade for him because any manager that has Tage Thompson likely gave top, top dollar for him. I don't know. What do you guys think? Look, uh, a closing remark on Tage. The only difference between Tage and Stu right now is... Ottawa's top six has been relatively healthy this year. Last year, Jeff Skinner, Alex Tuck, and Tage all played 75 or more games last year. This year, they've all missed time That's with right. injury. Yep. Okay. So that team has that line that was so good together last year has yet to really have any stretch of time together. And they still don't because Jeff Skinner's hurt right now. He's week to week. So that is the one caveat that I would put with Tage. The guys that he put up that career numbers with, they haven't all been healthy together for a stretch run. If that can happen in the second half, I think that can right the ship for all three players. Maybe not for the Sabres, but for all of three of those players, especially Tage, before we sign off, we wanted to hit a couple more honorable mentions. And if you stuck with us, I think it's going to be worth it. And guys, these are three guys, two guys I was going to talk about, and I know we've talked about them lots, and digging into the numbers was shocking to me. So I'm going to tell the listeners a secret. Karel Kaprizov and Matt Boldy are both underperforming currently based on what they did last year and in the second half. And Minnesota is dragging fucking rocks and dirt and shit across the ice right now in terms of how they're playing team performance wise but under the hood both of these players other than Kirill's current goal pace are pacing for almost identical production that they did last year and I believe that they could both be acquired especially Boldy for relatively reasonable cost I was going to do a deeper dive like I did on Tage, but then when I started looking, I'm like, shit, man, these guys are on the same pace as last year. Does, does anybody even know that? That isn't digging at the numbers like we are? Like, I think out of all these guys we talked about, you're probably going to get Boldy the cheapest and a 30-35 goal scorer with 70 points and maybe 20 power play points if Minnesota can get their head out of their ass as a team. I'm all about that. Kaprizov could be more expensive to acquire for sure, but like... There's got to be some people frustrated with both of them, without a doubt. 
but I, I was pretty shocked, boys. I don't know what you think, that they're both on the literally the exact same point pace as they were last year with Kaprizov's goal totals being a little bit less than they were. Well, Boldy for sure. I mean, his pace has been pretty consistent. He's like a low to mid 60 point pace guy uh, over the last three years. Uh, goal scoring, again, same thing. 30 goals on the board last year through the halfway mark this year. He's got 15 goals on the board. I think what's interesting with Boldy is for the first time this year, and it was a spillover from the last quarter of last year where he really turned it on uh, from a conversion standpoint, is he actually is scoring and shooting at a much higher percentage than his career average. And that is being combined with the line mate that is best poised to drive that production to a new level has been out for the past seven or eight games in Kaprizov. So um, Kaprizov's numbers are down a little bit year over year in the time that he has been on the ice. Boldy's conversion rate has actually gone up a little bit. He's not shooting quite as much, but the team itself in Minnesota is not shooting as much uh, this year compared to last year. So everybody's shots on goal metrics are down uh, year over year. But Boldy, I mean, again, the 60 points isn't that sexy. It's the, the 30 goals and hopefully 10 to 15 of them on the power play are really what you're looking to acquire with a player like Boldy. And he's probably been on a lot of wires throughout this year as well, too, depending on we talked about the ebb and flow of Minnesota season when we were uh, rehashing uh, Gus's acquisition um, in our home leagues and just how pretty easy to drop a Minnesota player mid to late November. And then a month later, you would have looked probably a little bit foolish and, and maybe questioned yourself. And then again, as we got into the third quarter here, they look pretty awful again, so... I don't know if it's just the sum of their parts uh, is is less, but they certainly need to find that that magic that they found in Q2. It'll be too expensive to fire another coach, so they're going to have to find another way to do this. I think any concerns with getting Minnesota players uh, at this point in the season is that currently we're going into week 15 tomorrow. Most leagues are, are going to wrap up their regular seasons by week 22, so including including next week with the conclusion of this week and all the matches played and games played. You have eight games left, eight weeks, eight game weeks left. And and then you have playoffs in Minnesota. I looked ahead at some of their games. They play three games in week 23 and two games in week 24, both of which are not particularly promising and both of which could severely tank your team. So if you're targeting a player such as, well, Definitely not Boldy in that same sense, because Boldy would be on the fringe of a core, possibly periphery, depending on how deep your league is. But Kaprizov, definitely, you would you'd be giving a significant core piece to acquire another core piece, and I don't know if that's exactly a core piece that is going to give you luxury of winning the line, uh, winning your weekly matchup. Now, I did look, and I. Kept thinking that Kaprizov was still hurt and out and injured, and he did return. Uh, he did have five shots in the past game. Obviously, it was a 6 nothing shellacking from Arizona. But it looks like, yeah, like Kaprizov is definitely going to give you immense production now that he's healthy and back. The problem is just that any team that would previously to Kaprizov returning would have been uh, looking ahead to the future, would have been planning for the future and trading and able to have the luxury to think of tomorrow to forego today. But even if you had that luxury, I don't know if any Minnesota Wild player would be the heavy target with their poor 
uh, playoff schedule. So, I mean, I think at this point, if you have Kaprizov and you, you know, are thinking and hearing, my goodness, wait, they have a terrible schedule, look ahead. If anything, maybe maybe try to see if there are any other deals for other core pieces and values now that he's back, wait for a good game or anything, and try to try to flip him, if anything, to try to get a team with a sexier uh, week 23, 24, 25 schedule. I think that's actually some good insight there, uh, especially if you can flip him you know, for somebody with a better playoff schedule or even somebody that seems to be maintaining their hot run, like a Sam Reinhardt, maybe. Just some deeper sh- thoughts here, and, and they're not, not necessarily regression candidates from the first half, but I th- certainly think these four guys, I'm not going to go deep into them, and we don't even have to have a roundtable. It's just a couple of quick hitters for the listeners out there. If you guys have stuck with us, you know, Dylan Cousins was a top 100, top 80 player in most scoring formats last year. We, if we all kind of agree, there is room for the Sabres, at least offensively, to bounce back. Cousins is going to be a part of that in some fashion. His underlying numbers are still great. His shots on goal rate is still excellent. He does see lots of time in the top six and the occasional run on power play one. Nikolai Ehlers, kind of similar uh, to Cousins. Winnipeg is still faced with the Connor injury, whether he's back in two or three weeks or not. Ehlers is finally getting some opportunistic time on ice. That continues even with Connor's return in the second half. You might actually see a true breakout season from Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, he's already pacing for his, you know, a, a 30 goal plus season. Andrei Svechnikov, off to an exceptionally slow start to start the season, was dealing with some injuries, but he's back now on the first line and on the top power play unit, and he's been doing Svechnikov things since he returned. The only underlying concern for him is time on ice. Uh, as we have all discussed many times, the Brindamore blender does continue in terms of consistency in t- of getting that you know premier line one time on ice and then last but not least and he goes hand in hand with our matt boldy and our caprisoff discussion is matt zuccarello returned also from a long stint on the ir so that whole line is now back together that normally plays together and zuccarello is a career 70 plus player a playmaking winninger hopefully that can spark all three of those guys offensively and really get them going go ahead jay Quick note to mention about uh, general trades and general, I guess, acquisitions of players. In a quick breakdown, you only have three quick ways or three main ways of getting real premier talent. There's your draft, there's your trading, there's your injuries, right? So those three ways are opportunities for you to get guys that produce at a premier deployment. Uh, We're not going to touch on the draft because that is over and long gone. If you're going to talk about trades, look for a team quickly with Calgary Flames. So Elias Lindholm, he has a UFA. He's most likely going to be traded because they can't get any value for him aside from a trade. Reasonably speaking, there are a ton of other teams in the league that are going to need top-line centermen. There are two ways you can go about it. One is you can acquire Elias Lindholm yourself, believing that he's going to pick up wherever he leaves off. Not that you can't do that, but generally speaking, the better value is actually not in the player that goes away, but in the player stepping up in his vacancy. Um, so some players to note and track in, in that would be your Nazem Kadri's, your Igor Sharangovich's, and even Mikhail Backlund. Um, just a couple of names to 
look around and see that they're currently producing at a half decent pace. Obviously, Blake Coleman as well is just absolutely on fire, but those guys are producing now, but those guys actually have more run and more ice time available to them if those trades crack through. Just a couple of things on quick fares, just to remind yourselves and think of coming up with the trade deadline happening, what, in uh, seven weeks from today? Well, I think we'll certainly have a quick fares trade deadline special uh, in terms of fantasy value once that kind of dust settles if you've stuck with us this long we will sign off for now as usual this is a not so quick fares Uh, so jay we'll turn off the fares we'll park the van cab we'll say thank you to all of you as always for listening and the support in this journey with the taxi squad from myself Maddie Case from Jay from Alan. We will be back really soon. As always, please follow, like, subscribe, and leave us five stars. Help us get the pod out to more ears out there in listener land, wherever you get your fine podcasts. Uh, join us in the Discord uh, channel, the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Discord. If you're not already in there, it's 2,500 plus strong, like-minded fi- fantasy hockey individuals talking all things fantasy hockey and life in general. We certainly invite all and everybody to be a part of that community. You'll find the four Taxi Squad drivers in that community, and you can reach out to us on any of the channels, especially the Taxi Squad Hotline channel and the Episode Discussion channel. If you have any questions, follow us all on twitter slash x you can find our handles in the show notes uh you can reach out to us there if you have any fantasy hockey questions we try to share as much content as possible on a regular basis there for you also give a shout out to mike rogerson and the five hole fantasy hockey guide please check out that wherever you get your fine podcasts please like subscribe and leave him five stars and that's it boys I think we will sign off we will say good night everybody thank you as always for listening it is all love Let's bring on a full schedule. Oh, and if you did make it this far, as a caveat, it is Martin Luther King Day in the U.S. tomorrow. There are afternoon games, so set your fantasy lineups, get your streaming choices in early, and the Taxi Squad will be back real soon. Good night, everybody. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all the listeners. Can't wait to do it again, fellas. We'll pick you up later.